If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We'll be looking at Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. A little context about this passage in the book of Colossians before we read it. Some false teachers had come into the church at Colossae. And they were, they were giving a teaching that said you needed more than just Jesus. They believed that Jesus was important, even like very important. But you also needed to observe certain rituals. You had to have certain dietary rules. There were certain teachings. There were certain experiences that you were supposed to have. If you really wanted power in a world where you feel so powerless. And nothing made the Apostle Paul more angry than that. Because his entire ministry was Christ and him crucified. Everything was about Jesus Christ. And so here he is in verse 6 and 7. Teaching the Colossians in this letter. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of opening up your word and applying your gospel. Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus and that Holy Spirit, you would kindle in our hearts uh, a love for him, that you would make Christ so precious and so infinite and so immense in our lives that we would be truly anchored in him as we go about the chaos of this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great to uh, be back here. I was, I was here probably five or six years ago, and I love coming back to Hattiesburg. One, my dad was born in Hattiesburg. He lived on 1811 Eva Street, um, and uh, I, I'm, the sessions are from Hattiesburg, so I love, I love coming back here. But I also love getting to see Davis, getting to see some of you, getting to see Dr. Justly, who taught me preaching, so if you don't like this, you can blame it on him. Um, but it also makes me think about another professor that I had who was also influential in my life, like Dr. Justly, was Dr. Knox Chamblin. Some of you may know that name. Uh, Knox is now gone to be with the Lord, but he was a huge influence on me. I'll never forget, he, he was such a scholar, a New Testament scholar, and so gentle and so humble. But he said something in his class that I never forgot. In fact, it became for me um, like the central theme of my ministry in my life. He said, you never grow past Jesus. You grow deeper in to Jesus and his cross and his resurrection. You never grow past Jesus. You grow deeper in to Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Just as you received Christ, Paul says, so now walk in him. Just as you receive Christ for salvation, complete justification, forever justified, as righteous as Jesus himself, clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ eternally, just as you received that gift of salvation, now 
just as you received it, walk in him. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that just as free and just as wonderful as your salvation was in Jesus, the same wonder and preciousness of Jesus is how you change. And of most of my life, I had that confused. In fact, that's one of the reasons I love RUF, because that is basically every other conversation I have with students. That is, God saved me, now get your act together. It's almost like the NFL draft. It's like, hey, you're in, we think you have a lot of potential. Tell me if you've ever thought of your Christian life this way. You got a lot of potential, but you know what? You better perform if you want to stay in the NFL. If you want to make it. And I think that's why there's so many insecure, so many mean Christians. Insecure Christians are mean. And a lot of it has to do with the idea that they're not fully accepted, truly accepted in their salvation in Jesus, even as they walk in Christ. Let me say this. Do you remember how desperate you were when you first received Jesus? Can you remember a time in your life by how much you needed Jesus in a way that you were overwhelmed? Maybe you're right there today. Desperate for forgiveness, desperate for the hope of Jesus, just as desperate, I believe the Apostle Paul would tell us, just as desperate as when you receive Christ, remain as desperate as you walk in Christ. Those who wholly trust him, we just sang, find him wholly true. So look at, we're going to look at three things today. First, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. Second, walking in Christ Jesus. And then three, so what? Receiving, walking, so what? Pretty simple outline, I think. Receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, Paul used this this way of talking about Jesus. Christ, Jesus, Lord. Those aren't throwaway terms for him. They mean, each one of those means something. In fact, the gospel is contained right in that very title. Christ, Jesus, as Lord. Just as you've received Christ, Jesus, as Lord. It tells us who he is. Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one promised in Genesis 3.15, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and then boom, in the darkness in Bethlehem, the Christ comes. The greater David, the greater Moses, the greater Elijah, the Christ, the Alpha, and the Omega, the Lord. Paul has one of the most beautiful ways of describing this in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, and I'll just read it for you. Listen to this poem. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That means, as one writer says, there's not another God behind Jesus that isn't exactly like Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, so much so that he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is God like? He's exactly like Jesus. You want to know what God like? He's like Jesus. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, that is powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. You cannot have a higher Christology than that. That is industrial strength Christology, people. What he's saying about Jesus is that Jesus created the universe. Through the Jesus, the universe was created. Christ Jesus, Lord, 300 billion stars in the Milky Way. 300 billion. And our galaxy is one of at least like 100 billion. There's 100 billion in some sort of like universes and the people don't even know. What Paul is saying right here, and what we know about the stars and about the galaxies, the limited knowledge that we have, is that every single one of the stars was created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. He has that kind of infinity. Think about a star for just a second. One of the stars I like is what called, it's called a white dwarf star. There's actually a white dwarf star, you probably know it, LP327-186. We all know that one. It's smaller than the state of Texas. The cute little star. Yet, it is so dense that if a cubic inch of it were to fall to the earth, it would weigh 1.5 million tons. Little bee cute star. And there are stars that dwarf it and dwarf that and dwarf that and billions and billions and billions. Are we beginning to see what Paul is saying to us? There is no end to Jesus. First Prez. Christ is still that powerful. People come, people go. But Christ is king. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He created all things. He sustains all things. And all things are his. Now, I want you to think about this. Why is Paul saying this? Christ Jesus is Lord that you have received. Christ Jesus is Lord. Now, this is where it really, really gets deep and rich. It's because all of that infinity and all of that eternality. I love saying that word, eternality. All of that sovereignty all of that deity, every single bit of it, he came down to earth and became Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, his name in Aramaic. And his name means salvation. And so all of that maker of billions of stars and galaxies, all of that power. He came and he was mocked and stripped and betrayed and he descended so much so that they spit in his face. Think about this power. As they were spitting in the face of Jesus of Nazareth, the Syrophoenician guards that were spitting in his face and cursing him in, in his own language in Aramaic. Think about this. The very spittle that went on the face of Jesus 
that was produced because Jesus Christ kept their heartbeats going right up to that very minute so that their salivary glands could even function and spit in his face. And he was crucified. And he was dead. And he was buried. And then the creator of the stars on the third day opened his eyes and he detonated. He went below our hell, John Calvin says, to raise us up to his heaven. All the power of God comes from underneath and brings us up. And so when he says receiving Christ Jesus as Lord, y'all, take that, Christ Jesus as Lord, God, Lord, Savior. And you know what that means? It goes right into your secret self. The parts of us that are so afraid of exposure, the guilt that we know is there that we cannot self-atone for. As one of my favorite songwriters, Jeff Tweedy, said, something in my veins that is bloodier than blood. We are that broken. But y'all want you to see who is our Savior. Our sin and our guilt is no match for Christ. His grace and His power overwhelms your guilt. It floods it with His grace and His blood. No matter what you've done or where you've been or what you will do, that the blood of the righteous second person of the Trinity spilled out on a hillside outside of Jerusalem, that it washes every single conscience. Paul says it in Colossians 1, 12 through 14. That this God, this Jesus qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, 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 all caps. Jesus ready stands to save you, joined with pity and with power, full of pity, joined with power as as the hymn goes. I love this. Pity and power together. Do you see that's what it is? Pity means compassion, and the word for compassion in the New Testament is the same word for guts. That means Jesus has, this, has feeling for you in his guts, for the brokenness, for the woundedness, for the weariness that you feel, right very down to your soul. He feels it, is full of pity for you. That's why he came. Full of compassion and power. Do you see, if he was just full of compassion... He would be empathetic to us. But he could do nothing about it. If he was just powerful, he'd just be scary. Quite frankly, Allah. But this Jesus Christ as Lord, full of pity, joined with power, bring that together. There is a concoction that right now your heart could fall to pieces into Jesus Christ and all of your guilt be absolutely blown away and you would think no 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 I'm too bad or my needs are too great and I'm saying like your Jesus isn't big enough that's what Paul's saying he says just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord 
you've received him? Yo, that's, that, this word is fascinating word, received. You know what it means? It's used in the New Testament as to take someone to oneself. That is, to take someone into fellowship is what it means. To bring someone into their house. To bring someone into their home to receive them. It's like he wants to come in and you let him in. And this is what faith is. Faith is receiving the precious and powerful and compassionate Jesus. That's what faith is. Faith is not a work. One of my favorite letters is from uh, Horatius Bonner. And he talks about faith. And he says this, faith is nothing. What? Faith is nothing. Christ is everything. Faith doesn't do something to make salvation happen. Faith receives the salvation that has already happened. Faith is not the blood. Faith is not the cross. Faith is like the ground receiving the rain. And I love one of the hymns that we sing so often. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. It says that all that you need is to need Jesus. What you need is need for Jesus. That is what faith feels like, needing Jesus, receiving Jesus. So here today, these are the roots that refresh. It's like, I've already heard that before. Really? Is this boring? You want to go to lunch? Wake up. To receive Jesus Christ, that means there is something eternal going on. That there's something that, that, that you, you and I so desperately need and that we never get over because you don't grow past Jesus, you grow deeper into Jesus. That the God who saved you is so for you in salvation is equally as for you in your sanctification, your growth. Just as you've received Christ. Now let's go to our second point. Just as you've received Christ, so walk in him. Just as you've received Christ, so walk in him. And he gives us this description of what it means to walk in Christ. You know, we use that kind of language a lot. Like, how's your walk? I'll be honest with you, it kind of grosses me out a little bit. How's your walk? And I was like, God, it's so vague and weird. Um, how's your walk? Well, what does it really, because what does it mean to walk in Christ? And we've often been timid because of how much we still need Christ. We feel like, I feel like I still need him as much as I did when I was, when I was first, when I first came to Christ. And I would say, cheer up, that's the best news ever. Because Paul says, we are to be firmly rooted in Christ. He uses the same imagery Jesus uses in John 15. Where Jesus says, abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. And, and he says, we are firmly rooted into him. And there's something so fascinating about being firmly rooted. To walk in Christ means to be rooted. It's almost this passive activity. So we're very involved, 
but we're rooted into Christ. In fact, this is a passive verb. It's something that God has done, and we're involved in it. It reminds me of these desert plants that I saw one year I was out west. We're on this, like, national park. And they're these desert plants that uh, can survive anything. Like, in the middle of the harshest kind of summers. And, and there was, like, one of these little, like, uh, things that you can read and find out all the facts. My family gets really bugged because I want to read all the stuff, right? But they, the root system is fascinating on these desert plants. Above the ground, these things, this little, they're like a little shrub, like about like this. Underneath the ground, it's like this. Because the harsher the conditions are, the deeper rooted they become. Let us then, with confidence, go to the throne of grace in time of need. Hebrews 4.16. Because we have a Savior who can sympathize with us, who is full of pity and joined with power. And so if you're here today and you feel that desperation, you feel that weakness, you feel that need, you feel a need for Jesus, y'all, that is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wanting you to shove the roots of your life, your soul, your very being, down into the eternal universe maker Christ outside of all the other things that you've built your life on that are constantly letting you down. To be built up into Christ, to be firmly rooted into Christ, means that we root ourselves in the words of his promise and of his gospel and of his sacrament and of the fellowship of Christianity. It's the most mundane thing. It's not something out there. It's not some new experience that you must have. It is this basic, real, meat and potatoes Jesus. You just show up and be a Christian. And over years and years, we grow firmly rooted, even in the harshest conditions. Just as you received him, root yourself in him. He's for you. And he says, just as you received him, be built up in him. That's the next clause he says. This is an ongoing process that's also produced by God, built up in him built up in him the chief cornerstone. And I think of the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you see? It goes right back to the source every single time. He is the chief cornerstone. And as we build ourselves into him, the chief cornerstone, then we are safe. We are eternally safe. One writer says that God protects me from nothing and he sustains me in everything. Like, horrible things happen. In Nashville, we are ripped to pieces. I have preached at Covenant Pres two weeks ago, and I will preach again next week at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And that is the most unimaginable, horrific thing. But I can tell you something that is happening in that church and with those people. I can tell you because I've spent a lot of time with them. I am seeing these people rooted and built up in Christ and sustained in a way that is supernatural supernatural because all other ground is seeking sand that includes our children that includes the safety the illusion of safety that we have but not Christ to be rooted into Jesus Christ 
It reminds me of like the story of the three little pigs. The, how dumb is the wolf, first of all, right? Huff and puff and blow your house down. I can almost think about my life and different little straw houses and wood houses that I've built by the, my achievement and me being a senior pastor of a church. How to wear a nice robe like this too. Hey, the wolf blew that to pieces. All the different things that I was going to have in my image and my plan for my life and the way I was going to keep myself safe and keep my things safe. And now I hear I'm 47 years young and I realize, uh uh-uh, there is one exit sign for all of us. And I can't hold on to any of it except the creator of the stars holds me in his hand. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm awesome? No, because you, who? You are with me. These are roots that refresh. He said, being built up in him, he says, established in your faith. Here's what that means. It means established in the timeless faith. You just recited it in the Apostles' Creed. It goes all the way back to the second century, most scholars believe. That is the content of the gospel. The one thing that, is, that unites more Christians everywhere over time and what we believe that Jesus Christ is, who he is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who God is, rooted in the faith. And this is what, let me say a little plug for RUF. We have a fixed theology. Our theology is exactly the same as it was in 1973. And we are super proud of that. That's a massive flex for us. It's exactly the same. That our founding fathers, and you all know them, Bebo, Mark, others, Jimmy Turner, Ford Williams, Scripture, justification, sanctification, the gospel. We have a fixed theology. We have a very flexible methodology. So I can go to Vanderbilt and I can talk to people who doubled my ACT score. And then we can also go to the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, and they speak a different language over there. But we have the same theology because we're rooted in Christ, because Christ doesn't change. Those are the roots that refresh. And no matter what happens to you in this life, nothing's going to change it because we didn't start it. It comes from outside us. Established in your faith. Isn't that what we need? What what I need right now? And here's what he says. Overflowing with gratitude. Do you see? That's the fruit. He says, when you walk in him, you are rooted in him. You are built up in him. You are established in the great faith, the timeless gospel, the fixed theology. And here, here's the fruit. Here's what comes out of a heart over time, overflowing with gratitude. It's like what he's saying here is it's, it's coming over the banks. The gratitude is coming over the banks. And y'all, I think this may be the one challenge we need more than anything. One of the reasons we are so into our own lives, and one of the reasons we are so despairing, and one of the reasons we're so mean, and so petty, and so full of gossip, and so unbearable, and by the way, so not reaching the world, is because we have zero gratitude for being in Jesus Christ. I have. Jesus is saying, and this is something I used to say all the time to my students, the best thing that is ever going to happen to you has already happened to you in Jesus. 
Now, you tell a Vanderbilt student where the, the acceptance rate is 6%. They don't let anyone in. You tell them the best thing that's ever going to happen to them has already happened to them by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a shocking, offensive statement. First Prez, the best thing that has ever happened to you has already happened to you in Jesus Christ. The fullness of God dwells in him in bodily form. And he loved you and he gave himself for you. And he will bring you home and he is going to make everything new. Now, could we, not because we're in a good mood, because I'm not in a good mood a lot of times. Not because life is easy. But couldn't you see just for a minute that something the world can never take away? You own. And if you don't own it, own it. Receive it. Take it. That's all he wants to do is take, take it. Take and eat. You see, because Jesus is salvation. To have Jesus is to have salvation. Could it be that you and I, we have been fighting with this, we have been focused on ourselves, we have been doing so many other things, we have been so distracted by all these things that are good, but they're not great, and what what Jesus is doing in the midst of these past few years, which have been bananas crazy, right? The last few years. I almost lost my dad. 237 days in the ICU with COVID. With COVID. He was a doctor too. We said goodbye to him three times. I lost my mind. I'm the one that talked to the doctors four times a day. And they gave me oxygen reports and saturation and all these different things. And they said, you need to come say goodbye to your dad. I was taken apart. But do you know it began to gleam even brighter in my own grave and in the grave of my father? Something that was so beautiful and wonderful is that this world is passing away. And the craziest thing in the midst of my great terror and fear of loss, I was full of joy. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Isn't that wonderful? It's what happens when you're rooted in Christ. It's what happens when you're built in Christ. Not built in yourself. Not built in Presbyterianism. Not built in theology proper. But built in Jesus Christ. If the Bible is not leading you to Christ, you're not reading the Bible right. If your theology doesn't lead you to Christ, your theology's whack. Christ is everything. And I promise you, if we could get Paul in a DeLorean and bring him back to this time, he would say amen. And I'll close with this. So what? It's real simple. I feel like the reason I'm not a pastor anymore is because I just preach the same sermon over and over again. My calling is to be really simple. It's really hard to be simple. And it reminds me of a restaurant my wife and I went to on one of our anniversaries it was in Miami I don't know why we went to Miami but we did a cheap flight and my wife's a foodie and she likes to pick cool restaurants and stuff and she found this place called Michael's Genuine Food sounds good it was a slow farm to table slow food slow food like kind of the opposite of fast food slow food farm to table and you walk in it wasn't really that fancy looking but they had these like every color of the rainbow heirloom tomatoes just right there on this like thing right uh, when you walked in. It was so beautiful. 
And we sat down and our waiter, man, he was wild. He, had, he was bald except he had one ponytail coming out the back. Just tatted everywhere. He would have loved it here. And he sits, and we sit down and he says, hey, Richie, hey, Laura. And I was like, how does this guy know my name? This is special. And he's, and we're just sitting there and I'm looking at the menu. We order some appetizers and he comes back. You said you're ready for, en- you're all ready for entrees. And I'll never forget this. I said, I don't know what to order. I couldn't decide. And he looked at me and he said, Richie, I bet it's been a long time since you've had some really good chicken right? And I went like, yes. How did you know? (laughs) I didn't even know, but it has been forever. And he describes this chicken and he says, it's just so basic. The chicken is so special. I had such a special chicken life, apparently. And it was cooked perfectly with the most minute ingredients, maybe a little salt, a little pepper, a little butter, and it came out, and it was nothing fancy. I'm not kidding. It's the best chicken I've ever had in my life. The skin was perfect. It has a crispy skin. I'm hungry thinking about it right now. And it was so simply prepared, it was genuine. Here's the thing. You have to be a really good chef just like you have to be a really good poet and a really good songwriter to take something that simple and make it that wonderful. And y'all, here's what we're called to do. We're not called to become more complicated in our lives. We're not called to add a bunch of things. We are called to repent of complexity to repent of the ego-driven, image-based insanity of our lives and eat really good chicken and have a really good gospel. It is so hard to be simple. And I believe that's what Paul's saying. Get this religion out of here. Get all this other stuff out of here. Come back to the roots. Come back to Jesus. And he never forgot. And when you taste the real thing, if you taste the real thing, you know it. And y'all, that's what church is. Get out of the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to preach here in the city of my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather men that were very broken and very, very thankful that you love to bless right in the place of the curse. Love gets the last word. Jesus, you win. Amen.